All right, well, welcome. Uh, I do remember uh, every time I hear that hymn, Jesus Paid It All, I remember actually being in uh, a child in church and hearing that, especially the part, he changed the leper's spots, because I thought it was saying he changed the leopard's spots. (laughs) And I thought, why would God want to change the leopard's spots? Then I thought, well, he's God, he can do whatever he wants, and so maybe he wants to change the leopard's spots. So that was a confusing thing for me. Um, It is good to be uh, here. This is the third, in the church calendar, this is the third Sunday of Easter. And I like that about the church calendar. You know, when Easter is over, it's not like, well, it's gone and we now push on. Now, in these weeks after Easter, we continue to reflect on that moment, uh, that moment when God just broke in to uh, the human realm and did a miraculous thing in raising Jesus. The God who was always already here made himself known in an obvious and startling and wonderful way. And these passages today actually talk a lot about wonder. And that moment in which we find God breaking through and we experience this sudden sense of wonder. So in our, for instance, in our Acts 3 passage today, there is wonder as Peter and John go on their normal round of prayers to the temple and there's a lame man at the gate where he's been for many years. And when they have nothing to give to him in terms of gold and silver, they say, But what we do have, we will give to you. And taking him by the right hand, they helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple, which, by the way, is called Beautiful. And they, the people, were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. In our Luke's, in our, um, it's our Acts 3 passage, in our Luke's 24 passage, this is the moment when Jesus, now the risen Christ, is appearing to the disciples as a whole for the first time. And he shows them his hands and feet and then asks if they have any fish for supper. <laughs> But when he showed them his hands and feet, they said, they, the text says, they disbelieved for joy and were marveling. Some passages say wondering that he who was crucified could be present with them. So the theme in this kind of post-Easter times we reflect is this theme of just wonder at the inbreaking of God. And, and I want to talk a little bit about this, this feeling of wonder that I think we all experience at various times what, what does wonder actually do for us? Well, you know what I think it does? I think it generates this uh, kind of this complex of emotions. Um, surprise. Delight. Admiration. Desire. This kind of moment when we are suddenly surprised and we wonder at the goodness or the beauty or the truth of something. If you're watching films, uh, how they sometimes do this cinematically is they have a camera go around someone 
Do you remember those things in film where you're kind of moving around someone? And the effect is almost a dizzying effect as this person is overcome with a kind of wonder um, at the discovery. I think, of, I think they did that in A Beautiful Mind, if you remember when he's looking at those numbers on the wall. He suddenly sees the code, and we are now circling him because something amazing is coming into view for him. And in fact, this wonder often does come through the eyes, right? So Peter and John saying, why do you stare at us as if we did this miracle? So it's something we suddenly see that is overwhelming. Or in the first John passage, John is wondering that God would actually make us, knowing all of our faults, all of our shortcomings, all of our rebellion, he wonders that God would make us his children. And he says metaphorically of seeing, he says, see what great love the Father has for us. See it. So again, this wonder tends to come through kind of either the metaphorical or the actual eyes. And you know what it does? It actually opens, up, opens us up to something. It's a moment when we are suddenly receptive, right? We're receptive to something outside of ourselves. Um, frequently, the exotic is something is a, that's a wonder to us. So that's why we like to travel, right? We love to travel because we love to see new things that are exotic. And in fact, the word exotic actually means outside, right? The E-X-O, exo, exotic. We are, we are people who are, who are meant to be open to something outside of ourselves. So wonder often comes through this kind of opening to the exotic. And frequently, it's, it's opening to something that is just life-giving. And of course, that's what they're wondering at in our passages today. Suddenly a man who's healed or restored, or a man who was crucified is suddenly uh, has a new body and is among them. We open especially to those things that are life-giving, kind of the way life was meant to be. When the man is actually healed in, in the Acts passage, we're told he was made strong, which actually the word just means he was made perfect, he was made whole. He was made as it should be. I think we feel wonder commonly at lots of things. We wonder at beauty. Uh, some of you, I look out there, some of us were at the talk by Mako Fujimura uh, last Thursday night, last, yeah, last Thursday night at Biola, where just the beauty of his contemporary art and even the way he talked about it just filled us with a sense of wonder. Some of us wonder at athletic accomplishments. Have you ever been to the Cirque du Soleil and those, those crazy people who, <laughs> who just, these crazy feats of athletic Skill, that opens us up to wonder. It's just beautiful. It's kind of like, I wish my body were like that. <laughs> That's the way my body should be. In my case, something would snap if I tried those things. We wonder at that, uh, that captain, that Sully, uh, Captain Sully, who landed that plane on the Hudson River when, it, uh, when the engines failed. And, and, and just, we just wonder at the feat of skill that, of course, was life-giving, or at least prevented life-taking. We wonder at these things. We open to them. Acts of heroism or generosity. And so in our passage today, when people are staring in wonder at Peter and John who have healed the man at the gate, which is called beautiful, they say, you shouldn't be surprised because we didn't do this. The author of life did it. I love that phrase. It's only used a few times in the New Testament as a synonym for God, but it's a great synonym. God is the author of life. Of course, 
there would be feats of wonder that, that, that are life-giving that would happen all around us because God is the one who authored this life. We worship God, whom we can also call the author of every good thing, the author of life. And it makes perfect sense. We're told, of course, in uh, 1 John, or rather in, the, in John's Gospel, that Jesus came into the world, that the world was created through him. That the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being. This entire world came into being through the Word. We're told in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things are created. Things in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities. All these things have been created through Jesus and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So anything in life that we wonder at, that we think, wow, this is amazing. Well, this is, comes from God. He is the author of life. And so one implication for us as believers is we should be people that are full of wonder. <laughs> we should be people who are just noticing the incredible gifts of life. We should be the people who kind of are signposts to the author of life. Celebration, joy, should be a part of our life as we ourselves notice, um, as much as anyone, the wonderful things that occur around us. Todd Hunter, Todd the Greater, last week, um, <laughs> talked about, of course, all the bad stuff gets all the press. But every day there is wonder that doesn't rise to the level of news according to those who decide what news is. But in fact, it exists all around us. So he's encouraged us as a family to report our stories of what he calls God sightings onto our web. And I don't know if you've been onto the website this week and just started reading what people have been writing about places where they have noticed God. And I, I went on and I just was, um, it was lovely. I want to read just a couple of things I saw to you that provoked in me a sense of wonder. One person wrote that um, after leaving their... Um, their office downtown San Diego, they passed a man who was homeless on the street, a beggar, maybe not unlike the fellow at the gate of Beautiful in Acts 3. She initially just shook his hand, and the joy, she writes, the joy on his face was amazing. So I asked what the story was, his story was, and we talked for a while, and I'm just going to read it to you. Several people walked by and stopped to ask me if I was okay, as he was standing very close to me as we talked. But I waved them on. He smelled of alcohol, but he was coherent. So I let him tell me his story of how he never got over his failed marriage and how he was beaten up the prior night while sleeping in a parking lot. His eyes filled with tears more than once, and I was at a loss at how to help him, so I offered to pray for him, and he let me do that. Then he wanted to hug me, and I kind of hugged him, but not too much, as frankly I wasn't sure about that, <laughs> and told him I don't hug strangers on the street normally. But he was okay with that. And thrilled that I spent time with him. We talked about repentance and God a bit. And then I had to go to my other office across the street. Um, she gave him some money. And when I came out, he was gone. She came out of her office. But I looked for him, and as I drove to my hotel, I saw him on a corner with his hat out asking cars for money and called him to my car so I could give him some fruit and some nuts and my Easter uh, devotional booklet that I had with me. 
and he blew me kisses and yelled at me nice compliments as I drove away. I'd never done that in my life, but it just seemed like the right thing to do. That's, that is pretty wonderful. That, is, that exchange is pretty full of wonder. That is not going to make the news. But that is, a, that is a wonder that is full of life-giving. And of course, we have that very example from Jesus, the author of life. Um, there are others on this, and I just encourage you to read them, these God sightings. Uh, in this very body, we have people who I think are signposts to wonder. Of course, all of us are, but I think of those people who are engaged in certain kind of things. Um, some, some of you are artists, Beth, Julie, um, uh, Michael in his music artistry who is up here. These, are, these people are kind of creating things of beauty that are pointing to the author of life, the cruises and their homeless ministry. That is a thing of beauty in this body. It's creating a kind of wonder but it's pointing to the author of life. But Peter does a crucial thing here in this Acts passage, and he says this, or he does this. He says, why do you stare at us? Because this is really the work of the author of life who you ironically tried to kill. See, what Peter is doing is he's trying to now take them from this moment of wonder, and again, in the moment of wonder, we have this sudden openness, this sudden receptivity to something outside ourselves. He's trying to take that moment and he's trying to move them actually to God. Because the tendency is going to be in human nature to repress the knowledge of God. And there are complicated reasons for that that we're not going to talk about, but, but Paul tells us that. Paul tells us that since that what is known about God is plain to people because God has made it plain to them. This is Romans 1. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, seen being understood through what has been made. Paul says, everybody, everybody actually knows about God through what's been made. And of course, that is chiefly something we wonder at, right? Which is the beauty of creation. He says, everyone already knows about God. And really what much of life out there is, is people actually repressing their knowledge of God. They're actually wondering at the beauty of things at the amazement of things. But when it comes to actually connecting with God himself, Paul says people actually repress that. Having wondered at life, somehow they don't want to come close to the author of life. They don't want to know him. But in fact, that is the very place that we were designed to go. See, people just don't recognize him. And that's what our First John 3 passage said. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Sometimes Christians and our infatuation with God himself seems crazy to people. I mean, Tim Tebow's not perfect. I might say some things differently if I were Tim Tebow. But the reason why people have a hard time getting Tim Tebow is because they don't actually know God. First John 3 says they don't recognize us because they don't recognize him. So at that crucial moment, when we're actually called beyond the things of God to God himself, there is a disconnect, there's a withdrawal. And of course, if we go back to John chapter 1, we're told that Jesus, the true light that gives light to everyone, came into the world. He was in the world. The world was even made through Jesus. And then John says this, but the world did not recognize him. <laughs> Here's the guy who made the world. And they don't recognize him. You know, recognition is so important for a relationship, don't you? Have you ever been to like a, a reunion? Uh, I mean, some of us who are older have gone to high school and college reunion, and we're just hoping people recognize us. <laughs> you know, hoping we haven't changed so much. 
And so some of that's vanity, right? Some of that's our vanity, like, you know. But some of that is, if someone recognizes us, then we can begin where we left off. You know, somebody comes up to you in the market and goes, haven't we met? There's that kind of relational moment when you get to connect with someone. The the obverse, of course, is, I don't know you. I mean, this is the great pain of things like Alzheimer's. I don't recognize you. Well, this is what God, (laughs) what happens with God. God who made the world, who is the author of life, all these wonders. People appreciate the wonders, but when it comes to him, they're like, "Mm, I don't recognize you. The very place that we are designed to go with our wonder, we don't go, or people don't go. And I tell you, not only does this miss the point of wonder, but it actually destroys wonder in the long run to not recognize God. Because here's what happens with wonder. You have that sudden openness to God, right? Or rather, sudden openness to the things of God, to this wonder. And sometimes what happens, though, if you see something very beautiful or very good, you are very drawn to it, but you suddenly realize that you are not beautiful and not good yourself. You suddenly realize this gap, and you know that because you want to get so close to that thing. You almost want to become one with it because you sense that you yourself are not as beautiful or good as that thing. I love Mary Oliver. She's a poet, and she has a poem here called When I Am Among the Trees. I'll just read the first part of it. She says this, When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locusts, equally the beech, the oaks, and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness, we might say wonder, I would almost say that they save me, and daily. Then she says this, I am so distant from the hope of myself, in which I have goodness, and discernment, and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. She says, I love these things, but when I go to these things, I realize how far I am from them. And then what happens when you feel far from that? You know what you want to do? You want to actually consume that thing. You want to somehow consume the beauty that wonder actually becomes desire to have it. Because you're not feeling good or... or um, beautiful yourself, and so now we've got to buy it. (laughs) I've got to buy that thing, and I've got to possess it in some desperate attempt to make it part of me so that I can feel beautiful and good. And so it becomes a kind of greed, a kind of desire, and of course this is most clearly seen in in inordinate or uh, perverse sexuality, where I now must become one with that person merely so I can take from them their beauty or get as close as I can to it. So wonder then becomes desire, which becomes greed, and then it, get, it destroys the moment of wonder, and it ends in selfishness. And of course, what we're often trying to cover is our own shame and guilt. Because most of us do. We both feel ashamed. There's a secret burden of shame and guilt that we all carry, and as you get older, frankly, it accumulates. And so that desire to be close to the beautiful or the good only increases, and our sense of wonder may increase, but our sense of desire to have it increase, and we need so desperately to know um, that we're forgiven and loved. And this is John's point in 1 John 3, right? He said, 
He writes in our passage, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You see, we were designed to participate in beauty. We were designed to participate in goodness, but not through acquisition, not just through possession, and not certainly through force, but through an actual relationship with someone who is beautiful and good, who receives us, who loves us, and importantly, forgives us. See, wonder turns our head towards the things of God, but we need a full body turning, not just the head, but the whole self. And of course, the word repentance, which appears in our passage, means exactly that. Repentance means a metanoia, a turning of the whole self, the whole mind, which is the heart. That's what repentance means, to turn the whole self, not just toward wonder, but toward the author of life and God himself. And so Peter, after the miracle and after people are staring at them and after he says the author of life, his, his, his imperative to them, his call to them is repent then and turn to God. Turn to the author of life. And so this repentance is a couple things, right? It's a turning away from our other attempts to force kind of beauty and goodness out of things that were meant to only be signposts. And it was meant to turn us toward God. Peter says, repent and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that burden of guilt and shame. And then he says that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That's what it says in our passage. That times of refreshing may come to the Lord. You see, forgiveness refreshes us. It says now that in spite of the accumulation of our errors and sins and brokenness, we can participate in God who is good and beautiful through a relationship with him. So Peter says, repent. And interestingly, he says, not just repent from your evil deeds. You would think the next word would be, and therefore turn to good deeds. He didn't say that. Because Christianity, in, at its very root, is not about right and wrong. It is absolutely, morality is absolutely a part of our faith. It's a fruit of our faith. But the key terms in Christianity are life and death. And so we don't turn to other actions only. We actually turn to a person. Repent, therefore, and turn to God, who is the source of all life. Jesus says, I have come to give you life and to give it abundantly. But that will only come if we turn to God. And so, what is the upshot today from our passages? Well, one, one application I already mentioned was Christians should be the best signposts to wonder. We should be pointing out for others the beauty, the life-givingness, the goodness of life as it springs up here and there, because these are signposts to the author of life. Second, we ourselves are to wonder that he has made us his children. And we should be continually in our lives repenting and turning to him. As we begin to find ourselves inordinately, um, inordinately relying upon or attaching to things that we think will give us life, we want to love those appropriately, but continue to turn to God himself and away from our attempts to find life apart from him. That is why every week in this church we say the prayer of confession. We say, again this week, I'm going to turn from any inordinate Life apart from you, Lord. And I want to return to you. In this church, we just return, we return, we return to God. And third, 
in the words of our Luke passage, we're called to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins to others. You see, people are walking around with a secret burden of shame and guilt. It's there. They may look good. They may appear buoyant. But they're walking around with shame and guilt. And the great news, in fact, they call it in the Scriptures the good news, is that God wants to wipe away that and bring refreshing and relationship with Him, the source of all life and beauty. And our calling as Christians is when we come across these people with a burden of shame and guilt, it's simply like um, the person who wrote in the God sightings, have a conversation, and suddenly we're talking about failed marriages, we're talking about <laughs> wounds, and we're communicating God's care for them in their brokenness. And finally, what I invite you to do in the short time that we have for reflection afterwards is I want you now to think of someone in your life who you think actually does kind of get wonder. They're not a believer yet. They haven't turned to the source of life, but you probably can think of someone who does appreciate the goodness of the world. They could be an artist. They could be a philanthropist. They could be a farmer. They could be a, uh, an academic. They could be a mom and dad who delight in their children um, and wonder at the beauty of life. And I just want you in the time that falls just to pray for them, that they would move from wonder actually into direct relationship with God where really life is found. And so in the time that follows now, just ask the Spirit to give you that person and just pray for them in, in Jesus' name.